0: Welcome to the Education and Empowerment Podcast. In this show, our hosts explore success and advancement through education by interviewing today's top leaders in the fields of education, business, and technology in order to provide insight into what it really takes to succeed. This show is brought to you by Forstay, a SaaS-enabled online booking marketplace for student and intern housing. Forstay provides turnkey all-in-one cloud-based accommodation software solutions for colleges, universities, and organizations. Learn more at offcampus.forstay.com and landlords.forstay.com. All right, let's get into the show.
1: Welcome to another great episode of Education and Empowerment Podcast. This is your host, Bakhtia Russoev, and I'm coming to you with an excellent episode with Dr. Ray Lutsky. The topic we're going to discuss today is around Emergent Global Partnership Models, a compass for the future. As we all know, the global pandemic had reset the higher education, like every other industry. The whole concept of becoming the best now involves teamwork, collaboration, and a collegiate mindset. Traditional competition is not going to be the same. To succeed in post-pandemic economy, we have a tendency to believe that higher education institutions need to rethink the way organizational goals are achieved, and adapt to new realities by doing more partnerships. In this episode, we're honored to bring Dr. Ray Lutsky. Dr. Ray Lutsky is an American professor, education technology consultant, and communication expert who worked with many world's most innovative and recognizable institutions. In his current role, Dr. Lutsky is the Vice President at Academic Partnerships, a leading ed tech company based in Dallas, Texas. Academic partnership helps universities increase student access to top quality, affordable, and workforce-related education delivered online. Dr. Lutsky is keen to share his unique experience that he gained through enrollment management leadership roles at Cornell University, New York University, Pace University, and Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and more. Let's dive into this beautiful episode. Welcome to Education and Empowerment Podcast. This afternoon, we are so excited to bring Dr. Ray Lutsky to our beautiful episode about emerging global partnership models. And I'm so excited to welcome you to our show.
2: I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. You know, we live in a world in higher education that, you know, really deserves to learn more about where the industry and education, you know, is headed. And one of the things that really stand out is that, you know, there could be a lot of different partnerships made in order to move this to the new stage. And I'm so thrilled to to speak to you today and to share this episode with industry leaders as well. And as we begin our episode, I was curious if you can get us started with a motto or an inspirational quote that wakes you up in the morning.
2: <laughs> that's that's a great first question. And I've always been a great fan of the aphorisms of Benjamin Franklin. He's my favorite founder of the country. And I remember in the biography about him by Walter Isaacson. He described him as the the founding father who winks at you in the picture, sort of in on the joke with you. And he's famous for a phrase that has a lot to do with waking up. It's early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's a motto I try to live by, but I don't think I'm wise or wealthy yet. We'll see.
1: <laughs> we'll certainly get there. We'll certainly get there. That's exciting. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think, you know, our audience will benefit from learning your journey in higher education at Tech. You know, why would you do what you're doing today?
2: For sure. I am happy to explain, and I've had the chance to work at some great institutions over my career in higher education, some of which are at the top of your screen right now. But I really began expecting to have a career in digital media and public relations when I studied web design at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, I ended up taking an on-campus job in the Dean of Students office. And that's what really awakened me to the idea of working at a university. And I've always really enjoyed academe. So I began my journey actually by going to a small company called Campus Speak, which books speakers on college campuses about topics from leadership development to hazing prevention. And it was how I first started to get to know a lot of the institutions around the country. Growing up in New York and the Northeast, I really didn't have the scope to fully appreciate how vast the higher education system is in the United States. After that, I I spent some time working at RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic, and got my PhD there. Went on to work at Pace University in admissions and got really to like the admissions world. Of course, recruitment, And marketing, really do skills that are transcendable beyond higher ed, but really to see the passion in students' eyes, to see the opportunities that they're going to have, was really enriching and is what brought me to a career in teaching as well. I'm a faculty member at NYU, where I went to work next, and also at the University of Southern California. So I really fell into higher ed hard and really enjoyed working at institutions. The one I worked at most recently was Cornell Tech in Manhattan on Roosevelt Island, And as I worked at NYU and Cornell Tech, I developed a real interest in EdTech, being around all of these young students, I mean, young to me, who are entrepreneurs who are launching big businesses and developing technologies that were being acquired by large companies. So I got a little jealous and decided to take the jump myself and ended up working at a company called Instride here in Los Angeles that works in workforce education with online programs. And most recently jumped over to another company called Academic Partnerships. But that's sort of my career moving through institutions and into the corporate world.
1: You're so right with, you know, the rise of technology and with the rise of the way we interact with the world. And I certainly agree with you that, you know, there have been certain patterns that, you know, allow us to see, you know, a success trajectory. I was curious if you can expand on, you know, your background, you know, again, with in in higher education. What do you define to be most important for you as a you know higher education leader? What's important for a leader these days?
2: Yeah, I think that's evolved a bit over time, and you see lots of different leadership styles at institutions. You see very iconoclastic presidents. You see very grandparently presidents, and I think a key. Sc- skill and tool for leaders at institutions today is compassion. We live in a time where very little grace is given when folks make mistakes about what they should say, how they should act, and do so out of ignorance. And it's important to demonstrate grace in those situations and respectful understanding and help those individuals understand why what they're saying is wrong. So compassion in that sense, and also compassion for the student experience. You know, student mental health is at a crisis level in this country. Student housing is, is, as you know, very well, huge challenge. And on top of that, even faculty have not really been able to get through the classes they've been teaching for the last couple of years with the same level of success they had previously. So those poor students are really dealing with a mountain of problems. So compassion for their experience has to be there, too.
1: That's, that's certainly very true. And like, you know, everyone else, we have also experienced, you know, that, you know, for the past two years, you know, with with the whole pandemic and how the world was changing and with the big button being reset, you know, I'm sure the, the higher education changed and lots of the new emergent models are now, you know, prevalent. You touched upon partnerships as a company and I did a little bit of, you know, more digging it. It sounds like a very good concept. Can you expand on that a little bit for our audience? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. And Academic Partnerships has been around for over
2: 15 years and has helped about 60 institutions to launch programs online, specifically targeted to be affordable and workforce-oriented and regional. One of the key characteristics of the universities that Academic Partnerships works with as compared to some other online program managers is that we specialize in working with regional institutions, faith-based institutions, teaching institutions that are serving their communities with nursing programs, education programs, business programs. So we work closely with university leadership and the enrollment team and everywhere across the university to help get them ready for online adult learners, which many institutions have not had the greatest experience with so helping them scale to meet demand helping them provide student services differently helping them encourage those students to persist that's what we do and we've actually helped more than a quarter of a million students to take courses at these institutions
1: that's great that sounds like a great you know concept and i certainly agree with you that you know a lot has changed and again as we said you know after the pandemic with you know how you know education is being delivered and like the the priorities have changed so i was hoping that you know in In this conversation we can learn from you about you know what key challenges you know have you noticed after march of you know 2020 and and how how are we as education leaders tackling them are we efficient are we not efficient can we do something else about it
2: again great questions i mean look we all went through a difficult time where nobody was really prepared to handle the situation and have arrived at a place where while there are changes afoot, I believe they were trends that already existed before the pandemic. And the pandemic simply accelerated the adoption of those trends. So, for example, online asynchronous courses existed. (laughs) We've been doing them for 15 years. They existed before the pandemic. One of the reasons why many more institutions are looking to do that right. is that the modality is, is understood a bit better. There were some stereotypes and stigmas around online education that I think have Calm down a bit about quality, about engagement. I myself came from a background where traditional degree programs were privileged at at places like Cornell and NYU that didn't really want to offer those kinds of programs fully online, offering non-credit things. But I went and worked with Arizona State University and ended up getting a master's there. And boy, was that high quality. I may have learned more in that master's than I did with my on-campus master's.
1: That's that's really exciting. You know, I, I you know I started reflecting recently on you know how institutions go about you know leading the institutions and you know how everything is structured. And one of the things I learned is that you know almost every institution wants to kind of be alone or compete alone. Where you know we all learned even in our childhood that you know one head is better than two. So. What do you think is the underlying cause for institutions to, you know, compete alone? Like, why can we not work together on tackling some of these, you know, issues that you mentioned, again, that started, you know, way beyond and before pandemic?
2: Why can't we all just get along? (laughs) Sort of a question that we all ask. And it's interesting. I view it very much as a, a sort of a cold war. Where there's no overt, there are athletic rivalries certainly, but there are no overt recruitment rivalries. But there are certainly challenges that exist when a mega university drops into your market and starts recruiting students away from your online programs. So there's that, and then on top of that, there is the perception in the market that we are competing because we all advertise. So. I spent some time traveling around the country when I worked at Rensselaer with a group from Caltech, Columbia, Cornell, and Princeton, going to high schools. And we were not competing. We were all in a van together (laughs) driving to these locations. But I'll remember clearly we were in Indianapolis and giving our presentation. And a parent stood up and wanted to comment on who he thought was winning the argument because he just was under the assumption we were competing for the students in the room. And to a certain extent, we wanted the best students. but. We banded together because we understood we would attract different kinds of students, different admission rates, different kinds right. of programs, different locations. So it is a process. And I think some institutions that have allied with each other through consortia have a much easier time doing what you're suggesting than some of the ones who have aspirations of being in our one Carnegie classification institution or really want to highlight their brand as singularly important and, and a lot of. Private institutions in the top 100 on U.S. News and World Report may fall into that category.
1: Wow! Yeah, it's it's really interesting, you know, because when you look at you know what's going on today, you know, each institution is you know trying to outgrow you know the competition. They want to be best. You know, they want to have the best dorm. They want to have you know the best facilities. And 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 I'm and I'm sure you know there's way to you know offer that given your experience in scaling these programs and you touched on you know something very exciting is you know the rise of the entrepreneurs and the it projects or you know the the tech solutions out there i think the the biggest keyword that is, was most searched was you know scale right and and pivot so what What methods would you find being you know most effective, given uh, you know the higher education landscape today in order to scale the programs? I mean, can you scale a dorm or can you scale a facility? The answer may be no, but can you scale your program and the offering and and the answer is most likely yes. So can you explain that to us?
2: Absolutely. It's interesting to watch this dynamic evolve where institutions seek partnerships with a variety of companies, many of them in tech, to provide solutions that are beyond their scope. Universities are very good at certain things, and it, it makes them very durable because they do have a significant redundancy built into them. Unfortunately, those kinds of systems are not very agile. <laughs> so turning on a dime, making significant changes in infrastructure, in hierarchy and technologies is Huge challenge for an institution. That being said, they do it all the time. (laughs) So, universities outsource their food services, they outsource their linen services, they outsource their telecommunications services. They, in some cases, they even outsource their public safety. So, institutions have done this all the time. But as we move closer and closer to the student experience, I think it begins to make some folks challenged and afraid that something is going to happen to those students that is not what the university wants. And unfortunately, that's a stigma. It's quite the opposite. What partner companies are often trying to do is do exactly what the university wants because they have a contract that want to keep them happy, but also because they understand they are serving the students. Right. And scaling to meet the demand of those students. Institutions can't scale to meet the demand of large international recruitment or large online recruitment. With housing, with student services, there are scaling challenges, and that's what some of these partners help.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right about that. And I'm sure that again our podcast audience would be interested in learning, you know, what what emerging partnership models, you know, you can identify for these institutions that are continuing to again scale their programs and the student experience or whatever, you know, the direction or the functional, so to speak, area that they work on, right? Whether that's, you know, student services or admissions or recruitment, what emerging partnership models you know, based on your experience work best and, and and how to work with it? Is there a starting point? Is there a middle point? Is there if if I'm in in this uh, position and, uh, and if I decided to say outsource my student services, for example, or, you know, I don't know, student counseling or any of the departments that I'm working with, what should I watch out for or what should I pay attention to mostly?
2: Sure. There are a couple of things in these partnership models that are important to recognize. First and foremost is that the support from the partner should be there for the university. If the university is ever concerned that the model is not going to create a real comparable matching experience for the university, if if the students are not getting The right kind of education the right kind of experience that that is a red flag so whatever it is if it's housing if it's education it needs to be reflective of the student experience that the institution wants so that's sort of the the table stakes moving from sort of the the minimal agreement to what i would say is the gold standard the minimal agreement is what we're doing all the time which is a contract Five years, seven years. It says we'll work together. We'll serve you. We have an SLA, and we're going to get paid on an annual basis. You write a check, and sometimes you write a check before we even do anything. That leads to a partnership that is transactional. Right. And I have been on both ends of partnerships like that as a institutional leader, and then as a, a corporate person. And I can tell you that that is a very challenging way to do business, and it is very. It does not lead to the best collaboration. What I've seen moving towards a gold standard is many institutions considering a revenue share because it places all of the risk on the partner company. Right. Institutions today are not in a position, most institutions today, many, many institutions have budgets still, but many other institutions today are in a severe financial crunch. And they lack the financial resources to create on their own, with a vendor or not. What they need is a solution. And the best alternative is to say to a company, you help us, you make an investment of however many thousands or millions of dollars you're willing to make, and you don't get paid partner company until we have an enrolled student. And that, I think, puts the onus on the company, again, to be paying for everything and to be bringing in those students because they won't get paid until the university has enrollment. So I think those are the emerging models the two that I've seen the best. I think some institutions are really afraid of that revenue share model. They feel like it's a, a potential challenge. But I'll also add that that's contractual too. So just because you have revenue share doesn't mean you have revenue share forever. That's the nature of these models I think.
1: And is there a model that you have seen to be, you know, better in in your experience or like can you give us an example of, you know, one or two institutions again that you worked with? Again, without any disclosing any confidential information, but in terms of like your experience or maybe another institution that you know that, you know, X type of, you know, leadership model worked best. I think it would be great to hear an example.
2: Sure. And I will kind of refer back to my prior answer and say that the difference between the revenue share model and the fee-for-service or contract model from a partnership perspective is the goodwill. And what that does is allow innovation. So I've seen this happen with a couple of institutions. Let me, let me try and give you some examples. A large public institution in the Northeast partnered with us and in the last year and a half has been highly successful not only because they had the right programs at the start but because we've added additional programs because we've had that collegial atmosphere to our meetings where we act as if we're all colleagues and we're working to innovate new solutions for the institution i think that partnership model produces the best ideas and but it, it, it connects market data which is so important to the business decisions Universities are not good at that, and those collaborative models, another example, we've seen incredible success with our partners in Texas, and some of those are some of our oldest partners, and we've been working with them in a revenue share since the beginning, and that really breeds a deep partnership with great enrollment success, and we've seen the enrollment numbers really skyrocket for some of those institutions.
1: That's great. That was a great example. You know, anyone who's working at an institution of higher education understands that, you know, a lot of higher education is based on a waterfall model where there's like an annual plan or, uh, you know, like a three-year plan or five-year plan. And then you, you know, go after this. and, And like you mentioned, you know, there is the transactional relationships or partnerships and perhaps, you know, transformational relationships, you know, when you are at that golden level, right? So what what sort of advice would you give for people who are in, you know, higher education now and, and are looking to scale day partnerships, whether these are academic partnerships, you know, faculty partnerships, service partnerships, or any type of, you know, partnerships? Is there sort of like a, a golden, I don't know, metric or, you know, what would you do if you were giving advice, you know, to yourself, like, five, seven, or 10 years ago. What 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 are you measuring to see if you can get from transactional partnerships to transformational partnerships?
2: That's a great point. And I think that for institutions, it's really understanding the, the feasibility and viability of what is going on. It, it is not a set it and forget it kind of thing. It requires support. So in some institutional situations, they lack the Either infrastructure or staffing support, or responsiveness to be able to work collaboratively with a partner. If a university is trying to scale to meet demand, they need to be able to work with a partner that will advise them on what they need to be able to do. So, if it's for online education, what if they have to hire more faculty because we've opened up a whole bunch of more sections? So that that process and that investment. Is a, is a consideration before jumping in because the scaling doesn't just happen on one side, it happens on the other. Same thing with housing. So if you are going to invest in an infrastructure to provide your international students and your graduate students with a superb living experience, there are tons of other scaling issues that need to be worked out at the institution that if they don't, it doesn't work. You have places for them to live, but they have other problems. So that's kind of the ecosystem approach that I would take to starting these kinds of scaling partnerships.
1: That's great. That's great. I mean, you just reminded me of enormous, you know, amount of partnerships that Forstay has developed since its inception. And you know, both of the models that you mentioned, you know, we tried and and I think uh, you know, kind of based on the wisdom and experience we collected, it is, you know, a communication, collaboration that really is important, you know, for our end, you know, to be able to be on the same page and and measure, you know, what has been agreed, you know, to measure to see, you know, how you would you would go there and taking that systematic approach that you mentioned was a key to success to many of the partnerships that we built at ForStay. I'm I'm so thrilled to learn more about, you know, the importance of partnerships and and the models of partnerships. Do you have, you know, any final words of wisdom to share with us before we wrap this episode?
2: Sure. I really have appreciated this conversation and have enjoyed it very much. And I would just add for your audience to do their own investigating. There are a lot of buzz out there about various kinds of partnerships and partnerships models and I think some individuals who have not yet had the chance to fully absorb some of the information that's out there about these partnership models may have developed some stigmas that they should examine, because I think that this is something that institutions will continue to explore as they realize they shouldn't be in certain businesses. They're very good at educating students. They really shouldn't be in some of the businesses their partners are able to provide them.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. And if, if you will allow me to also share my thoughts on this, you know, I, I just concluded in a P three conference that happened in Washington, DC. And it was, you know, so exciting to see, you know, many institutions discuss, you know, how public private partnerships, you know, work and what's important. And, you know, uh The factors that are important to consider now versus, you know, doing it later. And so I also encourage, you know, our podcast listeners to take advantage of the industry events that are happening in that specific, you know, sub-industry, so to speak, that, you know, they're working with and to continue to learn on what's working and what is, you know, the trend or what seems to be, you know, a benchmark and, you know, help update, you know, the institution and their programming with also an alignment with, you know, what's happening. Dr. Lutsky, that has been a great conversation on behalf of Force Day. I appreciate your thoughts and suggestions. These were, you know, certainly very valuable insights. You know, your your work is truly inspiring. And if, you know, anyone wants to connect with you, what would be the best way to find you?
2: Thank you, Bakhtiur. I'm very honored to have been given the opportunity to speak with your listeners. And I'm on LinkedIn. You just look for Ray Lutsky, and you'll find me and I'd be delighted to connect with you.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much. For our podcast listeners, if you want to subscribe to 4 Podcast, you should check out podcast.forstay.com. You can also search for us in Apple and other podcasts. And thanks again for 4Stay sponsoring this episode. If you're curious about what 4Stay does, check it out at forstay.com. Without further ado, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Lusky. See you next time.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Education and Empowerment Podcast. This show is brought to you by Forstay, a SaaS-enabled online booking marketplace for student and intern housing. Forstay provides turnkey, all-in-one, cloud-based accommodation software solutions for colleges, universities, and organizations. Learn more at offcampus.4state.com and landlords4